yeah, already. It's crazy. It's starting to get hot. It is. Did you go run this week? Yeah, well, this is like my two-week period where I'm letting my body regenerate and then getting back into marathon training here in a couple weeks. So I ran one day earlier this week. I think I'm doing a run this weekend and then probably only run one day next week. But I got back into the gym with my trainer. Mm. That was pretty Tell crazy. me about that. I want to hear about that. I want to hear people's experiences. (laughs) Yeah. There's a big difference between like working out for yourself and then working out like with a trainer because there's no, I feel like there's more accountability. Like you don't stop when you want to stop. You stop when, when they're like, all right, stop. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot easier when you're working out by yourself to just kind of go to the line, but then thing i personally like about the trainer is that they kind of push you past whatever your your comfort level is do you go for a specific reason like to help your with your running or just general fitness what what what's your why um a little bit i honestly wanted to start focusing on like i think i got the cardio aspect down i really wanted to start doing more of like a full body, like, you know, I can go to the gym and lift weights and not know what I'm doing, but I wanted more of a specific like plan of, all right, I'm actually gonna, you know, focus on, you know, doing total body, you know, building upper body strength, things like that. So, um, that was really my reason. Um, obviously everyone has, I mean, there's a million different philosophies with, training and, and, you know, lifting weights and things like that. But I wanted to make myself, I, there definitely was like some of the aspect, like I wanted to get better. Like I always had trouble with like my knees and my legs when running. So I wanted to strengthen like my knees and, and I haven't had any issues with, like I've definitely built up strength in, in my one knee that always gave me problems, but really just wanted that. And then wanted to start to focus on adding something to, you know, my regular training of running. Statistically speaking, I should probably have super bad knees and ankles and hips because I'm, I'm a large dude and I've been large like my whole life. But for some reason, like everything is still holding up strong as I approach 40 years old. I think a lot of it too is, It's what you, like what, like it depends on the strength too, right? So how strong your, your, your legs and knees and I mean, some of it obviously is heredity, but, um, but yeah, you can definitely, I feel honestly, you know, working out just my legs in general, I feel like my legs are stronger to hold up to, you know, the pounding of, you know, running, 8, 10, 12, 15 miles, as opposed to when I am running now more than I ever have before. And I feel stronger. Like I don't get as sore after running. Um, obviously you run, you know, 12, 14 miles, you're going to be sore no matter what, but I would, you know, in the past I would run eight miles and not be able to walk the next day. Um, I don't have that issue anymore. And I, I equate part of it to obviously, you know, being stronger just through, you know, 
the repetition of running, but also doing other things to strength, you know, strengthening my body through weight training and doing like, I do a lot of body weight stuff and, um, not always just focus on, you know, doing, you know, lifting the heaviest weights that I possibly can. All right. Let's, let's, let's get it out on the table. A myth, <laughs> a legend. Do you get a runner's high? I've had like maybe three in my running lifetime um, where you feel kind of just like euphoric and you feel like you could run forever. Um, One of the times was actually during a race. Um, I ran the flying pig like you can run. Uh, it's a marathon, but you can run a re- run it as a relay. So each person runs like six miles. Um, and my portion was mostly like uphill. Um, and I ended up getting like the shortest, uh, the shortest distance, but the hardest part of the course. And I definitely um, got a runner's high then. Like I did not want to stop running <laughs> when it was my turn to, to stop. But yeah. It definitely takes, I wouldn't say like, it's not something that you get regularly, at least for me. Um, And it takes, like, it's not something that you're just going to start off, like, no matter who you are, no matter how far you're running, the first mile always sucks. And then once you're like, I feel like once your body like kind of just accepts that you're, that you're running and that that's what you're going to be doing for the the foreseeable future, um, that's when you can go into a runner's high. I, like I said, I've had maybe three, but it, it, for me, it is, um, it's not a myth. Um, but it's, they're very, very few and far between. Hmm. All right. See that you just ruined it for me. I was going to start running it, but now if it's like some, some uh, unattainable thing, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I wouldn't say unattainable. I would just say it's like, if you go out chasing that, then I, I, you probably would never would experience it. It's one of those things where you, I didn't even realize that's that, that that's what it was until like, I'm like, you know, not wanting to stop running, which never happened to me before. <laughs> you had that Forrest Gump moment. Yeah. Just wanted to keep going. I should have ran all the way across the country, Santa Monica. <laughs> One of the things that I think for the people that listen on the beer side or the beard bourbon, although we don't really talk about beards much. I just have a beard. Yeah. Which we talked looks, about beards, I think, the first first episode a little bit. Yeah, it's looking pretty good right now, just to be honest. But it's when you're young, like you start, you drink uh, to get drunk, right? Yeah. And now we've come into actually drinking something for um like more more for pleasure than just the end in go. Right. Like we you've you've like I think you said you started off drinking what, like natural light? Yeah, I was more of like uh like Keystone but also natural light. You know, whatever was the cheapest. And as you get older you know, I used to. You, you remember you watch movies and then and like you go, they would go to like the boss's office or somebody's den. They'd have like the decanters 
with yeah. bourbon in them and yeah. pour it out, and they just drink it so smoothly. By God, I have a decanter now. <laughs> That's for show, I don't guy. know that we would ever ever use it, but you know, but like you pop that glass cork off the top and pour it. I just, I never really understood that, but now, especially since we started doing this, and I've I've been sampling a little bit more other you know just to kind of get my real take on it you know like i like bourbon because it's whiskey i don't like beer as much and it and it grows on you i would say like people that are car people that they could be a chevy guy or a ford guy or whatever i think that you know in life that's a you fall into to certain categories and niches yeah. Um, and yours is craft beer and, and mine's starting to be, you know, a more bourbon and the more I learn about it. But what, when did it, because you know, you're super active now, you can't just be getting drunk and having a hangover and waking up and running 14 miles. What's <laughs> right. What? So when you drink, it's, it's to pleasure your palate more so than to get you drunk. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because we, I didn't, we didn't necessarily know that this is what we were going to talk about, but the beer that I picked this week is a perfect example of drinking for, just for pleasure. It's not something that I'm going to go and pound, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you. So my, my thing is like, I've got my, you know, my house where I have a patio and, and the wife and I sit outside and on a nice day, we can sit out there and drink and have, you know, two or three beers. And it's not like, we're going to try to, you know, pound beers and, and drink, you know, a whole 12 pack between us. Um, but yeah, so I'll, you know, I'll usually drink a couple, like there might be nights where I have a little bit more than that, but typically it's, I'm drinking, you know, three, maybe four on like a weekend. Um, and I've, um, start, you know, started to really try to find, a, the styles that I like and that, that I know that I'll enjoy, but then also um, the specific breweries of, you know, I know that I like this brewery. They make a really good IPA or this brewery makes a really good Kolsch or something like that, or this brewery makes a really good sour beer. So um, for me, a lot of the enjoyment too is figuring out what I like, doing research on the breweries, um, one of the things that I always say, like with my hobbies, which if drinking is a hobby, then you can, if you consider it that, but I'm always super passionate about like everything that I, that I have as a hobby. I can't just get into something. You go in full force. Passively. Exactly. Right. Yeah. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly bear, you know, right. get in there. Yeah. I'm the guy that has to know everything about every single brewery. Uh, that I, you know, the beer that I drink, because I want to know that story. Um, I want to know where it's coming from, what the people are kind of known for, what, you know, what, and I, I think that kind of drives to some of the enjoyment too, um, which I, you know, finally, we've talked about it a couple times in passing here, but I finally watched uh, the documentary Neat, and um, it really so, opened up my eyes to to bourbon, and yeah. What about Kentucky? Did it give you a little glimpse of of the bluegrass state there? <laughs> well, so the funny thing was, so 
I mean, it is a documentary and it's, but it's not one where I would say that it's like a journalistic type of documentary where you're going in and like, it's not like an expose on bourbon. It's really more of a marketing piece uh, more than anything. Like it's like something to get you hyped up about and to really make you want to, um, uh, to, to drink bourbon. And I think actually, um, I think that, I don't know if they had a, how much of a part they had in it, but there was like a thank you at the end to like the Kentucky tourism board or, or I don't know exactly the name of it, but, and then, um, I think it mentioned something about the bourbon trail too. So definitely not something that is like a journalistic type documentary, but if you want to learn about bourbon itself and kind of a little bit about the history and some interesting characters, um, I think it's a really good documentary for that. Um, it showed me like, you know, how the funny thing is like, you know, you talk now about like, you know, being inclusive and things like that. So two of the main characters in the, in the documentary were, um, the first female, uh, master distiller in, in the history of Kentucky. And then a third generation, um, African-American who has worked at, who works at a Buffalo trace and, I think that that's something that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily like, not that bourbon is, you know, not inclusive, but I think that people that kind of opened up my eyes a little bit to say like bourbon's not just for the, you know, Southern white gentlemen, Southern white gentlemen. It's for everybody. Um, and that, that was really kind of the, for me, something that I, that I really liked. Um, Freddie Johnson was the, the guy's name. And I think that he was kind of the, breakout for breakout star of the uh the documentary for me um he's exactly what i would want like if i was going to do one of like the bourbon tours um he works at buffalo trace he's the exact type of guy and character that i would want um to lead my my tour you can you can see the passion just like oozing out of him um, how much he loves and cares about bourbon yeah i've done the buffalo trace tour between like work functions and then um, I took the wife there. It, the the full tour is probably an hour long and it ends with the tasting, you know, inside the distillery there. But it's those guides know their stuff. Like there's no note cards. There's no, it's it, granted it's very repetitious. You know, I think the Saturday, the last time I did it was I think last March. Uh, on a Saturday during Keeneland <laughs> and <laughs> Pretty crazy. There's, a, there's a ton of people there. And so they're running tours all the time and you cross paths with the other, other groups, but you know, you're looking from let's say nine to five, one, one to three an hour, depending on the rotation they've got. Yeah. But, but the energy's there for, I would say, I would bet from the first tour to the, the last tour, the guide's energy is going to be the same. They love bourbon. And the, one of the best stories with, with Freddie, he can't, he, he moved away, was working in a different industry or maybe he was still working in, in, in yeah, alcohol. he was in a different, he said he was in a different industry or working somewhere. He was in like Florida or something. I think he said, but his dad gets sick who was, you know, uh, a, a mainstay at Buffalo trace causing back, they get a job, and his dad gets this award. Um, 
or gets honored with a bottle of, of Pappy Van Winkle, which is like the shining star of bourbon, right? Yeah. Like if you go to our Facebook page, and I know we talked about it on the podcast, but you can see the link to the to the twenty four thousand dollar bottle. Right. Like somebody's going to buy that, no doubt. Hopefully for us, but <laughs> you know, he, Freddie opens the bottle. They all him and his brother and his dad pour a drink, and they close the bottle up. And his dad's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Dad, this is a good bottle of bourbon." He's like, "Yeah, you know, it's it's meant to be to be drank." Yeah, exactly. And so they sat there and drank the whole bottle um, together and shared stories. And that's, you know, that's the, what I got from Freddie was you don't, bourbon is meant to be shared, talked over. You know, it's not like a, you don't do shots of bourbon per se. You sit there and you sip on it and you tell stories and you enjoy it. It's really not for like collecting. Yeah. Although there are a lot of collectors. Right. Well, and that's the thing too is, you know, I think that there's some similarities. So like you talk about the specifically on the end of the, um, the tours, you get a little bit of that with, um, with the craft beer industry, but I think a lot of it is more driven toward, you know, obviously, you know, coming to the tap room and drinking and, um, some of the people that, that do it and do it well. Um, I think that it adds so much more to what their brand is. Um, but then also, that's one of the things I enjoy about, you know, a good beer is, is, you know, cracking something open that might be a little bit, you know, a little special and, um, really starting to enjoy, um, not only the, the beer or the bourbon, but then, you know, the people that you're with and that you're sharing it with too, whether they're hardcore drinkers or whether it's just something that, Hey, you know, here's something that's, that I had that's pretty good that, that I want to share with you. So speaking of, uh, Buffalo Trace, I know you've got some, some something good from Buffalo Trace over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eagle Rare, which, again, you know, when I had Wellers, I'd tell the story of how it was a bourbon that was on the shelf all the time. Not even it wasn't a top shelf bourbon; it was just readily available and cheap. Eagle That's Rare right. was that, you know, Eagle Rare was that too. Uh, but not so much anymore. The, really, the only place I can find it, uh, not even in liquor stores, but is at Kroger. Wow. Um, and and I just so happened that it it was there. I was gonna I was gonna break out some money and buy some Angels Envy this week. Um, <laughs> but I thought Eagle Rare would be great to talk about. And when I talk about bourbon, you know. Like I envy you because you know I I can go to your website mmamckinney dot com and look at your reviews and and all that and like you are super invested into that scene. It's not that I'm I don't uh, have as much passion about bourbon, but there's not a uh you know you know the distilleries isn't a, a social gathering place per se, right? Right. So. um so I thought I would dig in and look at some other reviews. And if you're listening to me talk about bourbon, you're listening to a regular guy who, you know, drinks bourbon on occasion um, because he likes bourbon. So I, I pulled up this review from breakingbourbon.com for for this bottle of Eagle Wear, 10 year old. And it starts with the nose. Now, I never smell bourbon before I drink it. It all smells the same to me. It's going to burn your nostrils a little bit. 
uh, Eagle Rare ten years ten year single barrel, and 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 Eagle Rare is a single barrel. Um, it's three years more aged than the standard uh, Buffalo Trace bourbon, like the Buffalo Trace branded bourbon, which they make a bunch of different brands. But Buffalo Trace is like their their house name bourbon, yeah, of the 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 distillery, yeah. Um, and when you go to take a tour, you get to sample Buffalo Trace and Eagle Rare, and then they have like a bourbon cream. I guess it would be like a Bailey's or something like that, but it's you know Buffalo Trace bourbon cream. Um, and it you're really hard pressed to tell the difference between Eagle Trace or Buffalo Trace and Eagle Rare, but these guys say uh, it has a subtle yet delicious nose. Uh, up front, I'm hit with a strong scent of orange peels and citrus mixed with aged oak. Lingering on the nose longer, I pick up toasted marshmallows drizzled with honey. Get the fuck out of here with that nonsense. <laughs> Pardon my language, but the, 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 no, I don't, I couldn't tell you what a, what a drizzled marshmallow, toasted marshmallow smelled like in general, let alone pick it out of bourbon. Sugar, like sugary or, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> you know, so it goes on. It talks about that a little more. It talks about the palate. Uh, up front, notes of honey, toasted brown sugar, new oak, and light traces of white pepper are all present. Listen, all this stuff is made in the same vat, put in the same brand new barrels. Right. It's They should all have that taste. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's uh, a, yeah. That's a funny thing too. Like, there's some of that with with craft beer too, definitely. And um, I, you know, that's those are the people, the the snobs. Um, I don't know. Like, you really got to get creative to come up with this shit. You know, uh, th- they talk about the finish, which is, I assume, like the aftertaste. Yeah. You know, when you drink any liquor, you it doesn't always taste the same after you've ingested it. You know, you get you the, those tastes linger and you get, especially in the back of your throat. Uh, but he found that medium in length, the notes are bubble gum, toffee, and honey. How you get bubble gum, toffee, and honey out of <laughs> corn, water, and some fucking yeast. Right. Come on now. If it had any any additive that, you know, anything that was supposed to taste like those things, it would not be called bourbon. <laughs> uh, and so it finishes with light traces of vanilla and dry leather. And yeah. they said it wasn't bad, but it's also nothing memorable. Eagle Trace is a great bourbon. Uh, if you're going to, if you want to show up to a party and impress some people, take some Eagle Trace because it's, you know, it, it the bottle looks... <laughs> Like it's laser engraved. It's not, but you know, it looks like somebody's laser engraved each bottle. Uh, it's definitely it's got a, a cool you know, looking big, bottle. Yeah. Like and I so, like that it it has like the white lettering on it, but then it's it is like a it's a clear bottle. So it to me it kind of it it lets the bourbon itself and the color of the bourbon be the color of the bottle and make that kind of the centerpiece to, to the product itself. I think you get a lot of, um, 
you know, a lot of times in, especially in, in beer, you get, you know, the, the crazier the label, the, you know, the more likely it is to sell or, and things like that. And you've got people, you know, stealing all kinds of intellectual property and, and all the crazy stuff that goes on. But I like that this one's simple, simple and elegant and lets kind of the, the bourbon be the star. Yeah. So this, uh, this says the standard price is $29. This was a $36 bottle. Um, but 90 proof age for 10 years. They also make a 17 year old as well. Never had that. Never seen that. And then a double Eagle, very rare as well, which comes in like a box with an Eagle on the top. It's like in a decanter. It looks like, very when, like 20 uh, year old so maybe you just put two bought two bought two of the 10 year old bottles and you dump them together that's right <laughs> honestly i feel like you know for somebody like you don't take offense to this but i could get a bottle and and pour jim beam into it, to it and you would really wouldn't know the difference right i think that, a lot of that, it is, that's the yeah. variation of bourbon like some some of it's a little higher proof, which I think you it stops at a like it if it gets much stronger. I think wild turkey is probably the strongest, and like Knob Creek also has a definite like. Yeah, that's that's a little stronger. Which um, it has to go in the barrels at no higher than one twenty, right? Correct. Okay, and a lot of that cooks off, you know, and then they test it and they double distill or. What, is that what it's called? They double run it, yeah. whatever. Um, but you know, it, you're everybody's working with the same basic ingredients. Probably buying their barrels from the same stave makers, um, and then just letting it sit and getting their fingers crossed. Well, and the thing too, like in in the uh, the documentary, neat. So they talk about you know you're it's an oak barrel. And the trees that the oak barrels are coming from are, you know, a hundred plus years old. And those, some of those flavors that you get in the, in the oak are, you know, what was growing around the tree. And so if you do get flavors of, you know, from the oak, it's going to be very, very, very subtle. Um, and a lot of what, a lot of the color and the flavor is, what's, is actually going to come from the oak. Um, so the oak is really, um, really a, a huge part of, of the actual distilling process of, of actually making bourbon. So, um, yeah, sounds like a good one. I want to, I want to definitely try that one. Um, so when we get together, David and I are going to plan on doing this together and maybe putting it out on Facebook live at some point. I'm going to, I'm going to just pack up all these bottles and we'll, and you can get your cans. We'll line it up and it'll be like our little backdrop or stage or whatever i'll oh, see now i gotta remember to save every <laughs> save them because the thing with beer is once i drink it it's yeah it's Re- well you can recycle i would i would say that yeah i mean it's not you're not gonna run out of beer to put up there it doesn't have to be what you reviewed <laughs> um but i'm drinking uh this week so um actually an urban artifact beer um we've i think maybe talked a little bit about urban artifact a couple weeks ago, so a brewery that's known for um, sour beers um, almost exclusively. They have a style that they 
basically invented. That's a, like a heavily fruited sour called a Midwest fruit tart beer. Um, and this week I'm drinking one of their Epicurean series beers. It is strawberry iced tea. So brewed with strawberries, an iced tea blend, and a wedge of lemon. And the Epicurean series is one that is, it's actually kind of kind of unique even for them in that if you kind of follow, you know, what, what an Epicurean is, it's a person de- devoted to sensual enjoyment, especially that derived from fine food and drink. So it's more really more, more meant to be like an elevated type of beer, not something you're going to drink necessarily every day. Um, but this one is, is pretty cool for the series and that um, it's a little bit lighter than some of the stuff that they've done, that they've done with, uh, with the Epicurean series before. So this is one where I'm, you know, going to sit outside, you know, and I want a glass of, you know, cold iced tea. Um, that's when I would drink this, but it's also 6.8% alcohol. Um, so It'll get high. you drunk. Yeah. So kind of high for, um, for, you know, a beer that you would say, Hey, this is something that's has a lighter flavor that I'm going to sit outside and drink, but it definitely has, um, some strawberry flavor. It's, it's more strawberry up front. And like when I, again, we're talking about on the nose, but it's more strawberry when I smell it, it doesn't have a, t- a crazy strawberry flavor. Um, but when I taste it, it's definitely, you get a lemon and it has a finish like a tea. Like if you've ever drank like a black tea or, or like an iced tea, you get that like tannic tea flavor where it's like almost like the tea leaves, um, kind of on like the back of your tongue. Um, going being, you know, going and being beer nerd here, but kind of an interesting experience where it's, it's not one that, again, that you're going to sit and chug. Um, but this one's pretty cool. Um, Angie really likes this can. It has a ton of greenery on it. She loves like the green plant. So it's got like cacti and um, a bunch of green plants. Like it looks like it's like a greenhouse, um, kind of a cool, unique scene. Um, with a glass of like lemon tea sitting on a stool. Um, I'll put a picture of it up on our um, social media. But this is one, again, kind of cool. Um, a little something different from, from Urban Artifact. They're, again, really kind of known more for like the sours and the heavily fruited beers. But this one isn't necessarily, I wouldn't call it a sour. I think it's listed as like a fruit beer. Um, but yeah, it's... And it's one that I was kind of, I didn't know if I would necessarily like it. Like I'm not, not going to want to drink like more than one of these in a, you know, in a sitting. Um, but it's definitely a good beer to just sit back and, and relax and enjoy. Like this also would be a good beer that, to pair with food. Um, like a, I don't know, some kind of like light summer, summer dish. Like barbecue or like. What'd yeah, you say? like barbecue, something off the grill. Um, I don't know, something lighter. With you know the coronavirus and the and the recent um, protests and and you know just civil unrest in our country, which is not 
we're here to talk about alcohol. I don't think you guys want to hear anything like that from us. But in that this time, there's there's some new breweries that are opening, right? Yeah. Like like coming at <laughs> that weren't there before. They're going to come out now. Uh, and you mentioned two, like the tap room for Northern Row Brewery is opening, and then Third Eye Brewing. Um, yeah. So it's it's funny. Um, so. Brewers Association, like, I don't know, maybe April, they did a huge, you know, big uh, survey of, of brewer, you know, brewery owners and, and basically, a, you know, almost half of them said like, hey, we might not survive this whole pandemic. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, but it, it was kind of surprising to me, especially knowing, I think that being in Cincinnati, um, where, you know, Cincinnati has such a long history of of brewing and we talked about this a little bit last week with like you know i think the ones that are going to struggle are the ones that are the um the the bigger kind of chain like like the applebee's of brewing base of breweries basically like in cincinnati we had a rock bottom brewery that closed um i got a bj's brew house yes email yeah this week thank you <laughs> that's the David. type of place that's that's going to struggle um uh so did, did they want to sponsor us or no they have something <laughs> called a pizzoodle something uh, some kind yeah. of dessert if i signed up i got something free yeah but the yeah so it's been crazy and in, in cincinnati we've had the only one so far that has closed has been rock bottom which i mean i think it has its place um but moving forward, we've had um, a brewery open up um, a couple of weeks ago called MPH Brewing um, in the, it's kind of like an upscale area uh, called Montgomery. Um, if you're familiar with like Montgomery Inn, the ribs, um, that's where they're located. They opened up, they, you know, and a lot of these places, you know, they're not just opening up out of the blue. They had been in planning for, for a while. Um we had uh, New Ales Brewing open up. They and they had been brewing for a little bit, but they opened up like a tap room beer garden, um, so you can actually go um, on site and drink their beer now. Um, another cool concept, uh, Wooden Cask, which is in Northern Kentucky, right across the river, opened up um, at uh, Newport on the Levee, which is a big kind of like multi, um, uh, like a. a different types of retail they've opened up what they call a box park where it's literally like shipping containers and it's um, a couple different retailers so they've got like a um, couple different restaurants uh wooden cask is a brewery they're based out of newport and they have they're sharing their space with like a spirits uh company i think there's a um like a plant store um but they opened up a tap room um the and then Northern Row and Third Eye are the two that I'm really excited about. Northern Row's been trying to open up for a couple of years. They they um, renovated this huge uh, old Christian Moorline ice house that was used in like the 1800s for lagering beer, um, and they're a brewery and also a distillery. Uh, so you hopefully in the future uh, we'll we'll see some. Uh, spirits come out from them. I know they're going to do like some whiskey and things like that. And 
they've they there it's another place that's been brewing for like a couple of years and they finally have their tap room and uh for, on the distilling side they've actually transitioned to making hand sanitizer as opposed to spirits um and i think they're going to continue to do that at least for the foreseeable future um and then third eye is uh up in sharonville which is where uh cincinnati has a, a pretty big convention center up there and um it's another exciting which it looks like you know even even kind of in the suburbs but they look like they're going to they're going to be doing big things it's a beautiful like it's a building that's a brand new building but it looks like it's been there for you know 50 to 75 years it's brick and wood really really well done like it's not like something that they threw up cheaply (laughs) they definitely have some some money and, and some time invested um, and, and putting that together. And then they hired one of the best brewers in Cincinnati, um, to come, uh, who's, uh, his name's Kelly Montgomery. He came from Brink, who he's won the very best, best, very small craft brewery of the year, two years in a row, uh, at great American beer fest, which is not easy to do. Um, so seeing what he's going to do on, on a bigger stage is, is pretty exciting going forward. But yeah, tons of like, I mean, we've had what, what did I just reel off? Like in the last like a month, we've had like five or six places open. If you're in the Cincinnati area and you want a preview, plug it right along. MMAMcKinney.com. He gets, he gets, he'll get you what you need, what you need to know. That's where I go for all my beer news. <laughs> also got a, uh. Cody Garbrandt article up, so still covering a little bit of MMA too. Yeah. Listen, you know, I love Cody Garbrandt. He, at one time, uh, before he went to the UFC, like when we had the Bluegrass MMA live, you know, we interviewed him. I think it it was his last fight with uh, Charlie Stanford. For uh, Uh, NFS? Yeah, or it was called Driven then or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, and, and after that, you know, I've never met him. I know you have, and you've interviewed him several times, but like we, we would chat on Facebook, <laughs> like, you know, just out of yeah. the blue. Um, obviously he's outgrown us, but I still feel like he'd be that guy, you know, if you hit him up, I can only imagine the, the amount of messages and, things he gets but yeah you know I've seen, yeah i saw him like me right before he won he beat uh dominic cruz to win the ufc title and um still super humble i mean a guy who came from from nothing um you know very very you know low income impoverished area he's from Eurexville, ohio which um if you know where that is then i'd be shocked but it's the middle of nowhere um came up kind of, kind of the hard way, you know, through the streets and, and luckily had an uncle who was uh, an Olympic alternate boxer (laughs) came up and, you know, wrestled through high school, won a state championship in high school as a freshman. Um, and, you know, tried to go the college route. I think he was in college for like a year, maybe even a semester decided to drop out and, and start fighting. And I first met him after I think it was his second amateur fight. Um, and well, a lot I, less tattoos. <laughs> yeah. 
if you look on YouTube, um, there's a video of me interviewing him every once in a while. Like it comes up on my time hop. Um, and I usually tweet it out every year, but it's like, man, it's like 19 year 19 year old Cody Garbrandt, uh, gets, uh, gets interviewed by me who, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fresh faced too, but, um, he's one of those guys like, you know, I've only seen, seen this, um, a couple of times in covering MMA, but I knew like the first time I ever saw him, um, that he had the talent to, you know, to be a world champion, which as your second fight as an amateur, that's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, I've only ever had, you know, even guys that have, have eventually made it. Um, I didn't necessarily have that feeling about them and not nothing against them because those guys and women have worked probably, you know, worked harder than like no offense to Devonte Smith, but the first time I saw him fight, I did not necessarily think that he was going to go to the UFC and be successful. Um, but he complete like he worked harder than I think probably anybody and turned into a guy who, you know, became a, a you know great prospect. But it's very, very rare to see a guy that early in their career who you just, you know, a guy who, hey, if this guy puts it all together and keeps it all together, um, he's he's gonna be special. And Cody was was one of the, and this was like in my early days of covering local man, I'm like, man, there's gonna be guys like this every weekend <laughs> and it was definitely not like that um didn't you sit next to bjorn Rebney and tell him about cody yeah and uh and and um that was like yesterday because it that i i was have a bunch of tweets about that too and um it came up yesterday on my time hop um back when i was writing for gateway mma and he came in and because um oh bjorn was like they were working on a um a deal with NAFS to come to Ohio and like kind of co-promote. So he came to, uh, uh, they used to have a big show every June, uh, at a Nautica pavilion called fight night in the flats. And, um, he also came because they had signed Jessica. I, um, which she actually ended up losing to, uh, Ashling daily on that, in the main event on that card. And they, uh, she still got signed, but, uh, Stipe Miosic was on that card. Um, he fought and won for, won the NWFS heavyweight title. That was his first, his last fight before going to the UFC. Isaiah Chapman, who, you know, unfortunately recently passed away, was on that card. Um, and Cody Garbrandt fought on that card too. And I was like, hey, there's two guys on this card. I know you know about Stipe. I know you know about Jessica. But, you know, even though these guys are amateurs, um, these are the guys that you probably should be looking at and, I think Bjorn was like, yeah, you know, whatever amateurs. Like, I think a lot of people look down on on amateur MMA, but you know, GSP had to have his first fight, and John Jones had to have his first fight somewhere. <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. it's funny. I think he was only interested in in people that were really like on the cusp of of getting to that. And and the other thing too that that stood out to me was he. Um, he only he, the the immediate thing that he asked was like, "What's their record?" Like he was so caught up on what their record was, like it's almost that like boxing, like you got to be fifteen and zero before you know before you you get a shot at at anybody legit, and that's just not how it is in MMA. Um, another guy that I actually mentioned um, was Maxime Grishin, who was he's from Russia, but he was training at Strong Style at, at the time, and like hey he's a guy who's who's pretty impressive too and he was like 14 and 7 
at the time. And so he's like, oh, yeah, he's not a guy that we would sign. And he's like, Maxim Grishin, I think, is the – I think he won the M1 championship. Uh, <laughs> but one of the best and, you know, more underrated uh, 205ers in the world right now. Uh, so maybe during the Bjorn Rebney era, that was kind of one of the things that, that maybe held them up was they were kind of record chasing a little bit of, like, we only want guys that are, you know, 8-0, 10-0 before, before we sign them. I wonder what ever happened to Bjorn. I don't know. He uh, he had like one, he had a tweet on, I don't know if it's still up, but then he just rode off into the sunset. It's like, I think someone said he's like in Mexico or something crazy. Hmm. He posted. Because um, he like tweeted something like, Oh yeah, Mexico in 2014, and then he didn't tweet again for two years. Um, and that was he, like he, right toward the end of of his uh, tenure at Bellator. Yeah, it's I don't know. UFC has been doing shows for the last several weeks. Uh, they got a show this weekend, but have you seen the NBA news? They're looking at doing a 22 team season at Disney World. Yeah. Um, it was, I think it's 22 teams and it's like, they're doing eight more regular season games. And then if the teams that are, you know, X amount of games out of the playoffs, if they, you know, they can do a playing game for the eight seed. Um, but it's someone posted like a new low for the, for the Knicks getting eliminated from the regular season. <laughs> <laughs> Is all right. So I know there's money in broadcasting, a lot of money. You know, I, I watched a special about amateur sports, especially with the NCAA, and just the money that these conferences make off their broadcasting deals, which is sickening. But there's something to be said when you're, you know, a lot of these teams one drive so much money into the local economy on game day, and all that. Yeah, um, and two. Like what? Will there be fans there? What? What's that experience? You know, as a like a diehard fan of your favorite team, and it, you know, for us in the NBA, we we don't have. I guess the Pacers would be the closest team. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't feel like I. It's not like the NFL with with the Bengals there or anything like that. I don't feel drawn to Indianapolis for any reason. But, you know, if I'm in Charlotte or L.A. or, you know, Milwaukee, all these places, like, that's my team, you know? Yeah. Well, I it's, wonder it's, what, yeah. like, the viewership will be, what, how the, you know, these big multi-million dollar contracts, how do you justify that when, you know, you don't have that revenue at the at the door and all the, all the stuff that goes with it? I, I get it, you know, people crave sports and they want that, but doing it in a very restricted capacity just, just seems weird to me. Yeah, and I thought that it was, I mean, I know that they're, they definitely have reasons to, to do it, but it almost seems like they're, you know, they're going to restart on, the plan is on July 31st and run through October. Um, 
the training camps for the next season, the 2020 and 2021 season was supposed to start the last week of September. So they're almost kind of robbing Peter a little bit to pay Paul. And it's like, I think sometimes it's almost like, would it make more sense to just scrap the current season and then say, hey, let's, you know, we'll, we'll reassess, you know, come August to see if, you know, see what we can do for, you know, to start back, you know, at the end of October, which is when the NBA regular season starts. But now you're looking at if you finish the NBA finals, I think it was like the first week of October, then you're not going to be able to restart the next season until I think they're talking about Christmas day. And I don't know how much the NBA wants to compete with, even though, even though it's going to be, um, you know, early regular season and, and it's going to be, you know, the, the finals and, and things like that. It's going to be tough for them to compete with college football and the NFL in September and going into October. Like, I think that that's, something that they maybe underestimate a little bit. Like I'm a person who I'll watch the NBA and the playoffs, but I will watch any regular season college football over pretty much any NBA, you know, whether outside of, unless it's like, you know, game seven of the Eastern conference finals or something like that. But I think they're going to have a really tough time getting eyeballs, especially if, which I don't know if what, baseball is going to do but um because they you know they've got some crazy stuff going on but i think it's going to be really interesting to see how the nba competes and it might hurt the nba because if they can't compete with with early season football if the nba finals are are drawing lower numbers than you know texas yeah because that's the cash cow right as a casual fan i only care about the NBA finals. I don't, I don't care who was third in the Eastern conference in January. Well, and if you're normal, yeah, if you're normally, um, you know, it's, you know, April, May, June, which is when the playoffs are in, in the NBA and you're, you're competing against, um, you know, early season, you know, baseball, you've got things like golf, you know, NASCAR, things like that, where, there's not a lot of overlap. I think there's a lot more overlap with NBA and NFL fans than there are with NBA and, and baseball fans, if that makes sense. So it's, for me, it's like, I don't know. Um, I think that there are, there's obvious reasons. I mean, they, they have some big stars who have a really good shot to, to win a championship this year. Like, you know, LeBron winning a championship in LA would be huge for, for the NBA, even if nobody watches it, but um, it's, it's interesting. And I, I think that maybe they're, you know, they're, they're banking on, you know, being, um, being able to compete with, with football and that's going to be tough, but that's a thing too. Like I, I've been very closely watching what's happening with football and it's funny because you're, you're an SEC country and I'm, I'm an Ohio state fan. And, and those are the two areas where it's like, yeah, it's business as usual. We're, we're not changing anything. And, and Ohio state's even talking about, Hey, we're going to try to put, you know, a, a fifth of, or maybe even up to a third of, of what the normal capacity is in, in Ohio stadium this season. Like they're talking about 20 to 30,000 fans, um, which would still be weird, but 
that's more than I think anybody has even dreamed about. I mean, in Ohio, you can't have more than more than a hundred. Or I'm sorry, you still technically can't have more than uh, gatherings of ten people. I think they're doing weddings up to like three hundred, but gatherings are still uh, still highly protected. And it's interesting, highly restricted. Of course, football also has the added benefit of being outside in the open air for the most part. So, yeah, covered up. You know, it's not a. Granted, there's it's full contact, but you're. I don't know. It's going to be weird, man. It's you know we're here first week of June. You know we've been living with this new normal since March. And a lot of people still don't know what's going to happen, so we'll, we'll monitor it closely. But yeah, we'll monitor it for you. You don't need to. Yeah, just come back every week for your news. Your COVID news. Breweries are opening up. Uh, I don't think the distilleries are, are running. Let me see. Um, but like our distilleries, you talked about making hand sanitizer. Yeah. Um, well, and, and we talked about this too, like, a lot of times the the distillery the actual distillery itself with you know people that go there it's it really is more of a marketing um it's more of a marketing i think it's not necessary i mean they are generating some revenue but it's not their main source of revenue like i think that they are going to be have an abundance of caution before they they start to reopen yeah uh as of right now only thing available is the virtual tour and the great Buffalo chase 5k virtual race. I might um, need to do that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking, of course I'm familiar with the, with the layout and the setup here, but it's uh it's weird to do a virtual tour. I don't know, but yeah, that's it. We will, uh, be back with some new flavors for you next week. I'll I'll try to be more sophisticated in my how I talk about it. In your review, yeah, I'll I really I'm gonna study this uh, the <laughs> the aroma, the palate, and then the the what are, what are they called it the after aftertaste. Yeah, the finish. Is. I think it's more important. The, for yeah, us, the finish. You're right. I think it's also important to just sit, you know to to note like, hey, this is this is this level of bourbon. This is when you would, you know, this is when you would drink it as opposed to, hey, here's a, a full, here's my tasting notes of, of this. Um, I'm not necessarily yeah. that guy either for beer. Yeah. All right. The support uh, our band, the National Barks. Uh, National Barks. They're our house band. They're they, yeah. They, uh, they brought you in and this week they will take you out. Um, so check them out on YouTube. You can find us uh, all over social media. Just, just look for, uh, beers and, and beards. There's lots of it, but you'll, you'll be able to, uh, the right one. you'll be able to find us with our, our sweet logo. Allegedly, we're going to get some t-shirts made. All right. I want like a, I want a, uh, COVID mask made too. Until oh, next week. Actual beard. <laughs> Yes. So I can have one. That would be awesome. Oh, everybody stay safe out there. We'll be back next week. Until then, au revoir. Love you.